Well, we've been kind of working through the Advent candles together, and if you have a Bible, uh, bring a Bible, it's church, it's on your phone, you know it is. Um, there's a few uh, passages I thought I'd give you a head start looking up, so if you put those up, Phil, and, and, um, and just keep your finger in those places, that's where we'll kind of um, end up before we're done here um, this morning, but I, I want to look at peace today. Last week, we looked at joy and spent some time thinking about what it means to, to find joy in the nativity, in the, uh, the, the advent of Jesus. And, you know, we kind of, the, the, the big ideas last week that were that as we grow in spiritual disciplines, we grow in joy. As we grow in Christian community, we grow in joy. As we grow in an understanding of our, the, the eminent hope of, of the future that we have, and also as we remember the things that God has done in the past, these are things that bring joy in our lives. We talked about joy not being something that, that hits you like a flash of lightning, although there are times of great joy, and yet it's also a fruit of the Spirit. It's something that you grow in over time, that we, be, we grow more joyful as we participate in these simple things, spiritual disciplines and community and remembering how good God is. And really, we could kind of copy and paste that into the idea of peace, that many of those same things are true. And it strikes me that really what it comes down to is that joy and peace, well, those are normative parts of the Christian life. This is what Jesus came to give us, that we might have life and have it abundantly. You've heard it before. Okay, good. That this is not the exceptional Christian life that has the opportunity to be filled with joy and peace, but this is the normative Christian life that has the opportunity to be filled with joy and peace. And yet peace, like joy, is sometimes hard to find. So when we're singing about peace on earth, what are we singing about? What is it that Jesus came to offer us? What is it that the angels came to declare to those shepherds in the hills outside Bethlehem? Well, do you remember how the, the announcement of peace was presented by those angels? Let me read for you just a very familiar passage in Luke 2. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. So this is good news. I even was struck this week that this is literally good news to the poor. You remember the first time Jesus cracks open the the scroll of Isaiah in the synagogue, he reads that the Messiah will come to give good news to the poor. And he says, and that's me. It's fulfilled in your hearing. Well, I'll tell you what, you don't get a whole lot better news than the Messiah is here, what those shepherds heard. And you don't get a whole lot more common people than these shepherds. This is very much what Isaiah was looking forward to. Good news to the poor. It says of great joy. I, I think the, you know, the calm standard version says, so get fired up. Like, hey, I've got great news. Let's go, baby. Like, it's, it's time. Let's have some fun. He says, Christ the Lord, the city of David, 
Oh, that's messianic through and through. Christ means Messiah. The Lord, the, you know, the, that word Lord can kind of mean formally like sir, but man, when you pair it with Messiah, Christ, and city of David, it's all about this is the Lord. There's great joy. And then the whole choir shows up in Luke 2, 14, singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. What an announcement. Peace. Can you think of any reasons that shepherds in the hills outside of Bethlehem in the Roman Empire with a Sanhedrin uh, high priesthood that was corrupt with Roman uh, leadership just beating them all the time for taxes with Herod trying to appease Rome and barely caring for the common people. Can you see how an invitation for peace be cause for great joy? What an announcement. Peace. It's the word, it's, you know, shalom is a Hebrew word, but, but this is the word that shalom gets translated to in the, in the Septuagint, just peace, wholeness, rest. And there's this announcement, this glory to God in the highest and, and on earth, peace among those with whom he's pleased. It's a very simple essay. It's got two parts to it. The angels want to tell you what's going on in heaven and then what's going on here on the ground. In heaven, glory to God. That's what's happening in heaven. If you're wondering what heaven is like, glory to God in the highest. And here's what's happening down on the ground. Peace on earth. So peace is available on earth. But is it for some and not others? Did you catch the second half of that line? And peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. So maybe there's a warning among the promise of peace. Peace is available now on the earth, but who's it for? Who is it that has God's pleasure? Man, isn't that something that all people of every culture have been trying to figure out? How do we please God? Same, some ancient cultures thought, well, it's child sacrifice that's how we please the gods. It's uh, winning wars in his name. That's how we please the gods. Um, as, you know, as humanity evolved a little bit and got different ideas about culture and living together and community and God, the gods and all of that, it, it developed more into, well, we, sh we should be good. That's how we please God. We really have to think today, how is it that you and I believe we can please God? What's the pathway to peace? It even takes some thinking to figure out how those two phrases the angel said kind of fit together. Great news for all people. Who's it for? All people. And peace on earth for those with whom he's pleased. How's that fit together? See, this angel is not really just giving exciting news about the lack of conflict. And there's something in all of us that longs for that, right? That, that we would hope that the angel would have said, right now is the end of all human conflict. And that's what I mean by peace. But that's the baby born that night, lived a life of poverty and was arrested and tortured by Rome and the Sanhedrin and then put to death. It's not an end to conflict. So 
What does he mean by peace? The angel is not just announcing the immediate end of conflict, although he is announcing the ultimate end of conflict. But no, really, the angel is announcing the arrival of the kingdom of God. The good news is not that starting right now, there will be no more conflict on earth. No, humans still have choices. Humans, even saved ones, will use those choices in a way that causes conflict with other humans. God did not announce the the suspension of free will (laughs) that night. But he did announce that there was another way. The good news is not that right now there'll be no, no more conflicts. No, rather the good news is, guys, the king of the kingdom of peace is born. The kingdom of God has arrived. And along with that came instructions to the most common of people, to shepherds, who would not assume there were other avenues for them to enter this kingdom where the king is born, but they're given instructions right there on how to enter this new kingdom where peace lives in and among all of mankind, peace on earth to all humanity who, with whom God is pleased. The instructions were the next thing the angel said. So go find Jesus. This will be one of the biggest ideas in the New Testament. It's what Jesus usually taught about. It's what the early church lived out and applied to their lives, that that this brand new kingdom, that the kingdom of God had come near to us. And you know, I know you know that. I know you've heard that. I wonder if you know how profound it is, how important it is to the lost world that we live in, not that we've found moral perfection or that we know all the right answers, but that the kingdom of God is not far away, but is near to even the shepherds. I don't know what a modern day shepherd is. Maybe pastor? I don't know. Um, Sort of. No, that's right. Shepherd, pastor, same word. Um, but I don't know what the you know, common person is that, that would feel like, like God is far away from them. But the announcement of peace is the announcement that the king is born. The kingdom of God is initiated. And even you, just go look for Jesus. That there's a brand new way to live. Instead of fear, worry, sin, death. This new way to live involves things like joy and peace. So, peace is available to all who will heed the call to find Jesus and worship him. Let me say that again. It's pretty simple, but it's pretty profound. That peace in your heart, in your life, is available to all who will heed the call to simply go find Jesus. Let's apply this three ways, and um, just very simply. Um, these are, that is the whole path to peace, is to go find Jesus. Just spend your life seeking Christ. But as the Bible unwraps this idea as it goes, there's some more specifics. Peace, first of all, peace comes as we seek the reign of Jesus. You know, a lot of people would say, yes, I would seek Jesus, I believe in Jesus, I love Jesus, I worship Jesus. Well, how about Jesus being the boss in your life? How about you submitting to his will instead of living out your will and then praying that he approves? You remember what Matthew 6 says. 
Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. As we go through these, do you remember how last week we talked about how, how, um, how faith and joy seem to kind of be paired? They kind of come together. As you live a life of faithfulness, as, as faith grows in you, joy seems to come with it. Righteousness and peace kind of feel paired in the scriptures as well. As you're looking for peace, you kind of notice that the, this idea of right living with God, having your life being lined with God, is where peace grows. Matthew 6, you'll remember it. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It says, look, the Gentiles seek what they're going to wear, what they're going to eat, what they're going to do. You know, it doesn't part of you go, well, that's fair. What else is there? Why else do we go to work? Why else do we do all this stuff? Yeah, I am concerned that I have food. I am concerned that I have things to wear. That, is, that an, is that an evil thing? Come on, man. But that's not the heart of that passage. You know that. It actually says they eagerly seek things like what they're going to wear and what they're going to eat. And that phrase, eagerly seek, is one Greek word, and, and, and it has to do with seeking satisfaction in something. See, the way to peace is to give up on the idea that you will find satisfaction in what you eat or wear or own or who you know. That what you are seeking for satisfaction in, in, in your life would not be the same things that you were born seeking. See, most folks are going to be seeking not just for what they're going to wear or what they're going to drive or what they're going to you know, do later or whatever it might be, but they're trying to find themselves in those things. But instead, seek first the kingdom of God. There is another way. Not only is there another way, but there's nothing but anxiety and stress down that path. Have you found that? That as we seek the things of this world, there's not peace. Ephesians 2, are you there? Good, way to go. Read, uh, read 13 and 14 uh, with me. But now in Christ Jesus... You were once far off and have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So Paul's talking to Gentiles, those who were once far off, the people who have the greatest effect of the fall, right? Generation after generation, not rebellious people that had the scriptures, but rather people that never had any instruction. The Gentiles, those who just grow up, grew up thinking, well, there's Jupiter and there's Apollo and there's there's uh, uh, you know, Artemis, and that's how it works, just far off from God. In cultures where we would walk in and go, these people are far from the Lord. You were once far off. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. They have been far from God. They have been away from God. They have been away from truth. And the secret to finding peace wasn't finally figuring out the perfect philosophy or behavior. No, it was Christ Jesus himself. All of these things have this in common, joy and peace and hope. You, you don't get them pursuing them directly. You don't just go and have these 10 steps to peace and then do it. No, it is when you submit to the reign of Christ in your life. It is when you pursue him that these things grow. He is our peace. 
And Paul is speaking very practically. He's not talking about just a, a calm feeling in your heart. He's looking at himself, a Jew, and these people, Gentiles, who he said there was a wall of uh, hostility, a dividing wall of hostility between these people. And where did they find peace? Not in compromise, not in striking a good deal, not in finding a way where I get a little and you get a little, but rather in both of them, submitting to Christ and Christ alone. If there are areas in your life where there's tension, there's going to be compromise in relationships. There's going to be, you know, we watch my movie this night and your movie the next night kind of stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you are looking for the for peace where there is a dividing wall of hostility. It is found in Christ. I have great news. News of great joy. Peace on earth. If you will give up seeking everything else and instead seek Christ directly. Amen. Jesus is that peace. The king is born. Now go search for him. And don't search for him and go, yeah, I found him. I was seven years old. Right? Would our, would our advice to, to David, who, by the way, David, nicely done, very well, very eloquent and wonderful. Would our advice to David be like, well, you did it. Good job. You're saved. Go live your life. Play a bunch of video games and try to get high score. I don't know. Are there still high scores in video games? Did I just date myself? <laughs> <laughs> now our advice would be you have found Jesus now spend the rest of your life continuing to seek him man is this advice to the shepherds just something we're going to read and we're going to move on from or are we going to take this advice seriously? Hey, I have great news of great joy. I have good tidings of great joy. There's peace available on earth. There hasn't been before, and there's peace on earth now. The dividing wall of hostility between you and whatever else is there can be overcome. Would you go find Jesus? Keep seeking him. Second, peace comes when we're a kingdom of peacemakers, you know, I think when we pray, we very frequently, now maybe we are on one or two sides, but we very frequently when we pray kind of say, God, this is what I want my character to be like. This is what I want my life to be like. And we stand up and hope that the magic Jesus power came down and like solved all of our problems. And do we believe that God could work miraculously in our lives? Yeah, go like this. Yes, we totally do. Yes, we've seen it. We believe it. We know it. But the normative path of peace in the Christian life is that we would be drawn into a kingdom of peace and then we would be the peacemakers. Do you remember the back to the Sermon on the Mount? Do you remember in the Beatitudes? Blessed are the peacemakers. Do you remember what follows? For they shall be called sons of God. We are most like God when we are making peace, when we are the ones making peace. 
And you might think, well, I'll tell you what's hard about that is that nobody else is. In my life, in my family, in my neighborhood, in my work, nobody else is trying to make peace. I'm the only one. Dividing walls of hostility are popping up all around me, and I'm the only one like submitted to Jesus, and so it's still there. And I would say to you, as you be a peacemaker when nobody else is, oh, that's when you're a lot like God. Isn't it while we were yet sinners that Christ died for us? Was it that we met God halfway? Did God find us and say, I'll make you a deal? You give a little, I'll give a little. No, rather it was that Christ has ended that dividing wall of hostility. There is peace nowhere else except in Christ. And we submit ourselves completely to him and we be peacemakers in our relationships, in our world. And that's how we most accurately reflect the character of God. People go, I think they're related to God. About half a century after this announcement that the angels made of peace on earth, Paul helped this very divided church in Rome apply this kingdom of peace to their lives, to their church, kind of answering the question, how would being in the kingdom of God make life in Rome more peaceful? That's a valid question, right? How does it, as we submit to Christ, as we submit to God, as we live as people, as citizens of the kingdom of God, how does that make life at Lighthouse or in Seaside or wherever you live, how does it make it more peaceful. In fact, what was going on in Rome is that a sincere desire to honor God, a sincere desire to, to live right, to make righteous, holy decisions was causing conflict. I know you're not going to believe this, but back in the first century, there were people who had different ideas about how God should be worshiped, and that caused conflict. Can you imagine So Paul, well, let me give you some examples. Some folks wanted to worship on different days. We could imagine that. Some folks wanted to fast a lot, and others wanted to celebrate a lot. Some wanted to eat meat, and some wanted to eat uh, only vegetables. And people argued about it. And people said, no, my way of honoring God is better than your way of honoring God. And as Paul writes into these conflicts, instead of declaring a winner in every debate, he wants to focus them back into peace, into kingdom thinking and kingdom life. The big idea is the king is born. Just go search for him and see if peace doesn't spring up in your life. Romans 14, starting in, in verse 13, says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another. He spent all this time just talking about Jesus, 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 Jesus. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another. There's lots of passages about judgment, lack thereof in the scriptures. This one is particularly talking about church folk. It's talking about the life of the church. And we could look at it and go, this applies to Lighthouse. It does, but it applies to the Christian community around us. As people have different ideas about what God would want in their lives. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. What if instead of making sure everybody worshiped, everybody lived, everybody made decisions like you think are right, instead we said, no, what my desire is, 
the, the thing that's going to be the filter that I put decisions through and how I'm going to live is, man, I just don't want to make, I don't want to stress anybody else out. I don't want to make anybody else um, stumble in their walk with the Lord. And I know, and I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in, its, in and of itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. Paul, again, it's about your heart. It's about your conscience. It's about what God's doing in here. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking uh, in love. So if your brother feels like it's immoral to eat corn dogs and you're walking by going, mm-hmm, don't you wish... Yeah, I'm just stronger in my faith, I guess. Mmm, wiener schnitzel. <laughs> Paul says, look, now it's unclean because you're being a jerk. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what, uh, by what you eat, do not destroy the one from, for whom God, Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. Here we go. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking. You remember the Sermon on the Mount said something about eating or drinking too. It said, look, Gentiles or or the world is going to spend most of their time pursuing the things they have, the lifestyle they live, what they eat, what they drink, what they own, what they do. This is a little different. This is saying, look, and the temptation for church folks is going to be to find the most holy way to live, the one and perfect lifestyle, and codify that in my life in such a way that I hold everybody else to that standard. You live like that. You think like that. You do that. You voted like that. You, you think over here. You eat this. You do that. Well, then you're wrong, and God is displeased with you. And Paul says, look, it's just unloving. Why would you destroy somebody for whom Christ died? That's powerful. Instead, he says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. God never looked down and went, oh, Grant finally figured it out. He cranked the code. One holy person in the world. Great job. It's just not about that kind of technical perfection. Rather, it is, um, but, uh, but it is about righteousness. There it is again. Just living in right relationship with God and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So if you have conflict, I think we all think the avenue to peace is that everybody would end up thinking like us. That would be the end of conflict, right? For eight minutes, and then we'd think of something else to argue about. No, rather, it's not finding perfection and causing everybody else to live like that, but rather to live in peace to live with a right relationship with God and to live at peace with people, even the thing different. Verse 18 says, whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. There are going to be plenty of people that are acceptable to God that aren't acceptable to church folk, and that should not be. Do we want peace? What is the angel announcing? The angel is not announcing that if you are perfect and always do the right thing, you will have peace. The angel is not announcing if your stupid family would just give you some slack, then you would have peace. The the angel is not announcing that if everybody at work would just get saved, there would be peace. No, the angel is announcing that if you want to live completely submitted to Jesus, you can have peace right now. 
that you cannot choose to be a person of judgment. You could be a person of peace. You could love your neighbor even if they're not right. Whoever serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Well, now we're back to seeking. Matthew 6, the world's going to seek worldly things, but you seek the righteousness of the kingdom of God. You seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now we're back to Paul saying, here's what your life should be about. Here's what you should wake up pursuing. Here's what the five-year plan should be. So let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. How do we make decisions at church? How do you make decisions in your family? What brings peace and mutual upbuilding? I don't know, I say this kind of thing a lot. I don't know if that's a very popular blog. I don't know if that's a very popular podcast or book. I think actually what sells more is to say, we're right, and if you feel like me, then you're right, and you better live like me, then you'll be right, and if you're not, then woe to you. And yet the path of peace laid out by the author of Luke, by Christ himself as he teaches about the kingdom of God and by Paul, is that because of the great surpassing love of God, because of what he has done, you could be a person who seeks peace in every relationship. I'm all for um, just kind of give peace a chance. You know, I've got a big squishy heart. I like John Lennon. I don't know. I'm, I'm flawed. Pray for me. I don't know. Um, I'm all for it. I've just never seen it. I've just never seen humans say, hey, we'll all be people of peace. Just chill out, dude. And it worked. Peace is available. Go find Jesus. And once you've found him, keep pursuing him. Lastly, peace will come. Might as well live like it now. Second Peter has this profound argument. Second Peter is so beautiful. Peter is just writing to a, a church that's downtrodden and is, is, is suffering in many ways. And one of the ways that suffering is they've had some false teachers come in and teach selfishly. And so it's just a church that needs salve, needs peace. Second Peter 3, verse 11, Peter says that since all these things are thus to be dissolved, like in light of the fact that things are temporary, in light of the fact that all of the things that are stressing you out in the blink of an eye, whether it be your natural death or the second coming of Christ, will not exist anymore. What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? See, I would even say it like this. If all of the turmoil and tragedy in the world right now was eternal, peace wouldn't even be appropriate. If this 
If the conflicts that we're in, if the things that give our heart tumult, if the, if the sorrow and sadness and oppression and fear and all this stuff in the world, if it was permanent, if it was eternal, then I would go, hey, Christians, grab the sword. We got to go. But Peter says, in light of the fact that all of this will be dissolved, what kind of person should you be in holiness and godliness? Verse 12 says, waiting for and hastening the coming day of the Lord. Man, we don't talk about that much. We talk a little bit about waiting for the day of the Lord, that, hey, God is going to wrap this up. The future is secure. You don't have to worry. You're going to be okay. And so are the people you love. We're going to be okay. Um, but then Peter says even more than that. He says, hastening the coming day of the Lord, that we are a part of the bringing about of the day of the Lord as we choose to be people fully submitted to Christ, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Like, We've talked about this three weeks in a row. It's kind of been the theme of our Advent season that, man, we cannot live just according to the tumultuous times that we're in. Not only do we have another option, but that's straight foolish. If Jesus should tarry, uh, uh, that's the only time I ever use the word tarry, by the way. You know, should the Lord tarry? Um, should the Lord tarry, which I assume means wait a little longer, there will be conflict on earth in 100 years. There will be conflict on earth in 1,000 years. But the minute you enter the, key, the new heaven and the new earth, all of that will be done. So in your 80 or 100 years that you get, do you want to live in light of problems that you are not going to solve, that we are not going to solve? Or do you want to live in light of the problem that is already solved? I mean, Peter's just writing to this church that we don't write like this because we don't suffer like them. Like, it would be weird if I preached like this because there's just not this kind of systemic suffering in the church. Maybe someday there will be, but right now there's just not. And Peter, these people who are just so sorrowful and suffering, says, but according to his promise, we are waiting on the new heaven and the new earth. And maybe we lack peace because we're just not suffering all that much and we've been drawn into seeking what we will eat, drink, do, and own instead of saying there's obviously no hope in all that. Instead, we're waiting for the time when righteousness reigns. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Again, Peace seems like something that we are not only invited into, but something we are commanded to participate in. Peter says, look, we're waiting for the new heaven and the new earth. Is there an amen? Are you with me so far? We're waiting for the new heaven and the new earth. And so if that moment is this afternoon, if none of those Christmas presents you bought matter because Jesus comes back in the next six days, which don't threaten us with a good time. Am I right? Like that would be fine with us. But if that should happen, is he going to find us without spot or blemish? Again, righteousness, holiness, like holy living is in view and at peace. I see more people trying to rile the church up to anger than encouraging the church to be at peace. If we're being riled up to anger, we're not living in light of the new heaven and the new earth. We are living in light of the last newspaper article. 
Should he come tomorrow, will he find us at peace? The king is born. What are you afraid of? What are you worried about? I've got great news. We're going to sit around and watch kids rip through presents. We're going to drink eggnog and have whatever's the traditional tamales. Any tamale families? Yeah, praise the Lord. That's the right way to do it. Um, we're we're going we're gonna to celebrate. You know, like we're going to, our whole culture is going to pause and celebrate. What are you celebrating? Victory over cultural things or victory over death? The new heaven and the new earth, profound and eminent. You could live at peace. You know, I guess our hearts could not be at peace for a couple of reasons. Sometimes you're just standing in the lagoon on a peaceful day and then a wave comes out of nowhere and all of a sudden you're not at peace. All of a sudden you're upside down. That happens. And when that's true, you kind of have to paddle back hard. You know what I mean? You kind of have to pray and fast and, and remember God is good. But a lot of times we've just chosen hostility. We've just chosen to seek things of this world. Peace is an option, but we don't want it. There is peace available on earth to whom he, with whom he is pleased. So go find Jesus. And then day after tomorrow, go seek him. And then that next day, have date night with Jesus. And that next day, pursue him. Make him what you want and see if peace doesn't grow in your heart. So, Lighthouse, Merry Christmas. The great news is that peace is available to you, but you do need to choose it, which means we do have to let some stuff go, which means we have to say we're letting stuff go, we're offering forgiveness, not because it doesn't matter, but because the kingdom of God is more real, more true. Do you understand? We have to spend so much time pursuing Jesus that we just don't have time for much else. That's the path to peace. We have to stop thinking about ourselves um, as shepherds or whatever it is you would normally define yourself as and instead think about yourself as a worshiper of the king. See, that's the thing about those shepherds. There's, there's great peace if you go from being the most common of people to the one worshiping in the throne room. And if you're struggling with peace in your heart because of work stuff, remember, Paul didn't say occupation would bring you your peace. In fact, what Paul did say is, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Almost like with an understanding of, there's going to be a lot of things in this world that you don't have control over. But as far as it depends on you, if there's not peace in your heart because of family stuff, would you remember that God loves these people? If there's not peace in your heart because of future stuff, would you remember that in Christ, just look a little farther into the future. 
There is a kingdom of peace available. The thing we celebrate is not that the angels proclaimed the end to conflict, but the angels proclaimed the birth of the king of the kingdom of God. And if you will worship him, peace is available to you. If the worship team would come up, we're going to sing Silent Night. And then we'll go and have a good week and come back here on, on uh, Friday for uh, Christmas Eve service. It'll be beautiful. Please do come. So that means we're going to see each other, see Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, five days from now. In these next five days, would you as an act of spiritual discipline be a person of peace? You're going to have the opportunity to be angry. Would you choose peace instead? You're going to have the opportunity. Somebody's going to do something dumb. I guarantee it. Might be me. Somebody's going to be wrong that you love. You're going to feel differently than somebody. And I don't have an answer to end that wall of hostility unless it is just choosing to live in the kingdom of God. So over these next few days, as you have the opportunity to be stirred up to hostility, would you instead choose peace because it's available?